Hello, my friends. This is Pastor Christopher Alam at home in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I trust you and your household are doing well. God bless you. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Yesterday, we spoke about uh, Yahweh Ra or Yahweh Roi, which is uh, the Lord, my shepherd. Then we started talking about, um, about covenant men. And we first talked about Abraham. Uh, the covenant man of God and we're going to continue to talk about Abraham and we started by reading from Hebrews chapter 11 about how by faith Abraham when he was called to go into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went by faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange land dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob and heirs with him of the same promise for he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builders and maker is God. So let us recap a little bit uh, the last part of what we, uh, what uh, I shared with you yesterday, um, that Abraham was uh, called by God, and um, I, I talked a little bit, expounded a little bit on that, and how he lived at a time when there was no uh, written word of God, there was no revelation of God except that which. Uh, every man has built into his conscience. You know, God has built into every man's conscience, even in the most heathen of societies, uh, a consciousness of, uh, of God, a divine being who has created all things and a conscience, uh, um, you know, to, that sees the difference between right and wrong. And people who live um, under that, uh, I don't know what word to use, maybe dispensation would be a proper word to use. This is before there was any word of God revealed. Uh, so God looks at people and judges people um, by how faithful they were to the light that they did have. That means an understanding of God from, um, from uh, what God had built into their spirits, you know, and from nature and the world around them, how faithful they were to the, albeit, um, how do you say, uh, uh, limited revelation they had of the Most High God. So Abraham was faithful to that. And uh, although, uh, you know, at that time there was no old covenant, God hadn't made a covenant with Abraham. That came later on. But Abraham was a man of faith. And, and when there's a man of faith, God can always speak. God can always speak to men and women of faith. And so that's where out of the blue, God speaks to Abraham and tells him, Abraham, I want you to leave your household, I mean your parents, your brothers, sisters, your world, the world that you live in, which was in, in, in Ur, in Chaldea. And he said, leave everything and go to this land I'm going to take you to. And Abraham, he just followed the voice of God. And it says he didn't know where he went. That's what verse 8 says. He had no map. He had no, he had no idea where this place was, but he, he heard that voice from God. And he obeyed that voice. And that place was, my goodness, maybe thousand kilometers, thousand miles away, very far. If you look at the map from, from uh, Chaldea to, to Ur, from Ur where Abraham was born, which is in Iraq, to, to present day Israel, the promised land. Could be a thousand miles, 800 miles, I don't know, but it's very far. And he started walking there. And during that journey of faith, he had experiences with God. And uh, he got to know God more intimately because I'm sure the Lord spoke to him because you see, when you're on a journey of faith, it will change you. So, um, but here's the astounding thing. God had promised him a land. That was all God had said. I'm going to take you to this land. That's it. 
And so what he was going for, uh, his vision was for this piece of land that God had said to him was uh, filled with milk and honey, a land that was overflowing, a good land. And that's what he was, he was going for. But what God was actually doing, God was forming and shaping and making Abraham uh, to be a man of God. So uh, his name was Abram at that time. It was not Abraham. Abraham was a covenant name, but God was working on this man's heart and doing his work on this man's heart and turning him from a man to a man of God. To the point that when Abraham came to the promised land, <coughs> that was what God had promised him, the land. But when he came to the land, it says that he lived there as a stranger, as a someone who was passing through, so much so that he lived in a tent. All, the, all those years he lived there and he passed that same thing on to his son and to his grandson, Isaac and Jacob, and they too lived in tents and they uh, were also, you know, had this idea that we are just passing through because in verse 10 explains us, explains to us why it was that way. It says, because he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Is God. So sometime during that journey of faith, Abraham began to see things in the world of the spirit. He began to see more than this land flowing with milk and honey. He began to, I believe he got a vision of, of the new Jerusalem, a, a, a city whose builder and maker is God, a city whose gates are made of pearls, whose streets are paved with gold. And he got a vision of that city. And so from, so what happened? So when he came to this land, suddenly this land meant nothing. He was, he said, he said, you know what? This is not really my home. This is not what really I really want. I want that city. So what Abraham, there was a transformation in Abraham's life. So Abraham's uh, vision uh, moved from the earthly to the heavenly. So from this earthly land, he began to look for the heavenly city. And uh, it says whose maker is build, uh, and builder is God, because that was the city he began to look at. So, and then in verse 11 talks about Sarah, Abraham's wife, Abraham's wife. It said through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him who had faithful, who had promised, therefore sprang there even of one and of him as good as dead. So many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand, which is by the seashore innumerable. So now she talks about Sarah. Sarah was Abraham's wife and the promise she had received was that she who was childless had been barren and childless all her life would one day hold a baby in her arms. She would become a mother. And he says, by faith, Sarah, you see, that was the common denominator Abraham and Sarah had. They were people of faith. People of faith are covenant people. And so Sarah received faith uh, through, sorry, Sarah through faith received strength to conceive seed. I mean, she who was barren received strength to conceive, to bear a child in her old age. She did so when she was old and she did so by faith. And uh, when she was past age, that means she was old. Why? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. So 
During their journey of faith, Sarah had gotten to know the character of God. She had gotten to know the character of God. And because she knew his character and she knew that he was always faithful and true. Therefore, when he promised her a child, she held him as faithful because she knew his character. And so, so Abraham actually received the promise of that land. And Sarah actually received that which was promised to her, that child. But verse 13 says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. Now, wait a minute. I thought Abraham did receive the land and Sarah did receive the baby. But it says that they died in faith, not having received the promises. What does he mean? This is what it means. He says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. What does this mean? That means that Abraham and Sarah, they both died in faith and they did not receive the promise. In other words, even though they received the earthly things that had been promised to them, and that means for Abraham, it was the land and for Sarah, it was the baby. They still counted themselves as not having received that which they really wanted and that what they really, really wanted more than the, more than the earthly things that had been promised to them was that heavenly city. They, it says that they saw it from afar off. They saw the heavenly city with their vision. They saw it from afar and were persuaded of them. That means they were, they were totally, totally convinced. They had this conviction about that heavenly city, that it is a real place. It is not just a figment of my imagination, but it is reality. And this is what God has promised me. And this is what I really want and embrace them. That means they embraced it from a distance. They took possession of it from a distance. That's what, it, that's what faith is. Faith is when you see something in the distance, but instead of just acknowledging it as being as it being in the distance, you embrace it and receive it by faith. So they, I believe they saw that city and they saw Jesus who was the maker of that city and they received him and they embraced him from a distance and they confessed, they spoke, and they said with their mouths that we are strangers and pilgrims of the earth. You see, men of faith and women of faith, their lives are not caught up with earthly things. Earthly things are important, but you know what? The Bible says, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things that you need on this earth shall be given to you. That means that everything that you need to live Everything that you need to win souls or to do ministry or whatever God has called you to do, to give to the poor, whatever God has called you to do, everything will be given to you if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, there's a lot of people who, who, whose message is about money and earthly things and comfortable living. And, you know, listen, it doesn't matter how much you amass on this earth. One day you're going to die and you're going to leave it behind. You're never going to live long enough to enjoy all that you have because it will never satisfy. And so 
what really counts is what you have in heaven. And so, but what happens when you embrace the heavenly and it, 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 it totally grips you, you are gripped by the heavenly, it takes a hold of you, then what happens? That which is on this earth, it does not make any difference to you because this is not what life is all about. Life is not about how much you own or, you know, it's not about these things. It is about seeing Jesus and, and, and living by that conviction and embracing him from a distance and following him with all your heart. And then at the same time saying that, you know, what is my home? This is not my home. My home is where Jesus is. My home is where Jesus is. Hallelujah. So it says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were persuaded of them and embraced them. And they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had the opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country. People of faith, they desire a better country that is a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You know, listen. I remember people used to say, oh, you can't be so heavenly minded that you are not no earthly good. That is the, you know, I, I used to believe that because that sounded so great. You don't be so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. But I realized that's the biggest piece of garbage, theological garbage I've ever heard. You see, if you are heavenly minded, that is when you are good on this earth. Because then here on this earth, you bring into people's lives things that are of eternal value that they cannot take, that nobody can take away from them. If you are heavenly minded, if you're driven by heaven, then here on this earth, you are the, you're the kind of guy I want to be around. Because if you are heavenly minded, you, God will use you to deposit into my life, into my heart. And things that really, really matter, things that really have heaven, uh, have eternal value. And that is what we badly need in the church today. People to be driven by things that have eternal value, driven by eternity, living life on this earth, but driven by heaven, driven by eternity. Anyway, so it says, but now they desire a better country. It says these people, people of faith, they live not for what is on this earth, but they, live, they desire a better country that is a heavenly. They desire this heavenly city, this heavenly country. And because of that, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You see, that is why God was called the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. That is why he was called their God. The reason he was called their God is because they desired his city, a better city, a better country, the heavenly city where Jesus is. That is what they live for, forsaking everything on this earth and taking hold of that which they saw in heaven. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. That is why he was the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob because their hearts were set 
on the heavenly and not on the earthly because for them God has prepared a city. Hallelujah. Verse 17, by faith Abraham when he was tried offered up Isaac and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called according that God was able, according accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead and whence he also received him in a figure. Now this is interesting is that that God had given Abraham Isaac. Isaac was the child of promise and he says through Isaac your seed will be called. So that means Isaac is your future. He is your perpetuity. Your children will come through Isaac. But the interesting thing is that suddenly God says to Abraham I want you to sacrifice Isaac and Abraham I mean he knew what it would mean but unflinchingly because his trust was in God. He was a covenant man. He was ready to sacrifice Isaac and you know the rest of the story how God stayed his hand at the last moment. Hallelujah. So you know this is this is uh, this is about Abraham the covenant man. Now let's look at the next covenant man. The next covenant man was a man called Moses. In Hebrews 11 verses 24 to 29, it says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a second, for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, essaying to do so, were drowned. Now, this is about Moses. This is an excerpt from the life of Moses. It says, by faith Moses when he was come to years refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now Moses was actually adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh the king. So he was like a prince in the household of, of Pharaoh. So he actually grew up like a prince because he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and so the, the you know the Pharaoh Pharaoh treated him like his grandson. So Moses was a powerful man of Egypt. But when Moses realized that he was one of those Jews, he was one of those Israelites uh, related to these slaves because the Israelites were slaves. So when he realized who he was, it says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That means he refused to be called the prince of Egypt, although he was the prince of Egypt. So he realized he was actually two persons. On one hand, he was the prince of Egypt. He was the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was a prince of Egypt. He had a bright future. And who knows, one day he could be the Pharaoh, the next Pharaoh, uh, because, uh, you know, that was his future. That was laid out on a silver platter before him. But then on the other hand, he suddenly realized when he was kind of grown up that he was also an Israelite. So he had to choose or he could keep quiet. You know, he could uh, he could just keep quiet and not tell anyone about it. But it says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused his status in Egypt and uh, he, he uh, you know, he, he chose the other path. He chose to be 
it says choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. He chose to suffer with the Jewish people when he realized that biologically, in fact, he was one of them. Then to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He had to choose, you know, which, which, which reminds me of something as I'm talking to you. You know, when I got saved, I came from a very high profile, wealthy family. And uh, when I got saved, oh my goodness, everyone was upset. My family wanted to kill me. And, uh, you know, that's what many Muslims do when a son in their family becomes uh, a Christian. It's like an honor killing. They have to kill to redeem the um, the honor of their family. So my relatives, my family, my father especially, they, he wanted to kill me and all that. So uh, what happened was I had some a couple of well-meaning missionaries, well-meaning missionaries, foreign missionaries. They took me aside. They said, listen, brother, uh, we know you're sincere. You've given your life to Jesus. So, But here's the thing. He said, you could be killed. This is very dangerous for a Muslim to give his life to Christ and to follow Christ because they'll kill you. They said, this is what you can do and this is what many other Muslims in your situation have done. You can be a secret believer. That's what this, that was the expression they used, a secret believer. So I said, what is a secret believer? They said, well, a secret believer is one who pretends uh, to be a Muslim, lives like a Muslim, uses Muslim jargon, Muslim lingo, uh, but he's a Christian in his heart. So. Uh, that means he can go to the mosque and when he prays, he prays like everybody else is praying to Allah. But actually in his heart, he's praying to Jesus. And, and he says, because the word um, Islam actually means submission to the will of God. And a Muslim, the word Muslim in Arabic means one who is submitted to the will of God. So because you are submitted to the will of God, you are actually a Muslim, literally. And uh, so you can just pretend you're a Muslim. Don't have to make waves. Don't tell anyone you believe in Jesus. Just keep it to yourself. Be a secret believer. Then one day you'll get the opportunity and then you can come out and say what you want. But just for the sake of your safety, personal safety in your life, don't, don't even uh, you know, tell anyone. So be a secret believer. I'd never heard of this before. But anyway, so a few days later, you know, I was kind of mulling over this. Should I really do it? Does this sound right that... I'll be a secret believer because they said there were many people they were secret believers and and I met I met a couple one was a very famous movie producer he was name was a household name and he came to our meetings he was a secret believer there was a member of parliament he was a secret believer so anyway so I I so I was reading the bible a few days later and there it says that this is these are the words of Jesus Jesus said he said something like this, that if you if you deny me before men, then I will deny, deny you before my father, which is in heaven. But if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my father in heaven. And then I thought, well, if I if I pretend that I am a Muslim when I've actually given my life to Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus and, and I pretend I'm not. I'm denying Jesus. And I don't want to do that because if I deny Jesus and uh, if people ask me, uh, what are you? And I say, I'm a Muslim because I'm submitted to the will of God, but actually I'm a Christian, but I, I'm lying. Uh, the, and so I really understood that would be denying Jesus. So if I deny Jesus, then one day when I stand before the Father, uh, you know what's happened? Um, the Lord is going to deny me. But if I acknowledge before men, yes, I believe in Jesus, then the Lord will acknowledge that I belong to him. So 
I told them, I said, I'm sorry, I can't do the secret believer thing. Even if they kill me, that's fine. I can, well, I can't say I can live with that. I can die with that. But I'm not going to be a secret believer. So sometimes, you know, there, there's a price to pay. There is a price to pay to, to stand up for the truth. And Moses was in that situation. Uh, he was, you know, the grandson of Pharaoh. Uh, on his way up, you know, he could have become the next Pharaoh. Or the other hand, on the other hand, he was a Jew. He was one of those hated Jews and he was a slave. But it says that he refused to be called Pharaoh's grandson, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing. That was his choice. It wasn't thrust upon him. He said, choosing rather to suffer affliction. That means choosing rather to suffer pain and suffering with the people of God. Then instead of enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season, then he says, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. That means that he chose, he, he esteemed uh, suffering with Jesus as being far greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. Can you imagine that? He counted suffering for Jesus being, I mean, suffering for Jesus for him was worth far more, far greater than all the riches of Egypt. So on one hand were all the treasures of Egypt and the other hand was suffering for Jesus. And he counted suffering for Jesus as being more, worth more and much more precious than all the treasures of Egypt. Because he had respect unto the recompense of the reward, because he saw the final reward, because that is the only reward that really counts. That is the only reward that really counts. And that's why, you know, God says that uh, come out from among them. Don't touch the worldly things. He said, you know, he said when you're faced with the things of this world, he says that um, the Lord said, just come out from among them. Be ye separate. Come out from among them. Be separate and don't touch worldly things. That's what the scripture says. You might say I'm being religious, but that's what the Bible says. You know, this so-called Hollywood Christianity, that is not real Christianity. You don't find it in the Bible. The Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate. This is then I will be your father and you'll be my sons and daughters. So it says, verse 27, by faith, he forsook Egypt not fearing the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he left Egypt. You know, it takes faith to take a hold of things, but it takes greater faith to let go of things. Sometimes in order to embrace your destiny, you have to let go of things that may look very glitzy and glittery and worth a lot, but you have to let go of them if you want to embrace your destiny. He says, by faith, he left Egypt. It's by faith, he forsook. He said no to all the riches of power and riches and power of Egypt, not fearing the anger of the king. The king was the one who had power of life and death over every citizen, but he did not fear the anger of the king. He just, he didn't care. He left everything and he endured, he endured suffering. And then he tells us why he did that. As seeing him who is invisible. Listen, beloved, when you and I can catch a glimpse into the heavenly and we see 
the one who is invisible. When we see the one who the eye cannot see, when we see the one who is invisible, it totally changes our perspective. We are willing to leave anything and everything to take a hold of him. And that's what happened to Moses. He said he saw the one who was invisible. So he didn't care about all the riches of Egypt. He didn't care about Pharaoh. They said, verse 28, through faith, he kept the Passover. Through faith, he kept the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. You know, then the angel of death came, began to kill all the firstborn. And the only way to save the firstborn of Israelites was to sprinkle the blood and to keep the Passover. He did that. He did that. And through doing that, there were thumbs, millions, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of children who were saved. They said, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land which the Egyptian essaying or trying to do so were drowned. Hallelujah. That was the life of Moses. So we have looked at Abraham. We have looked at Moses. And then tomorrow we will look at the next hero of faith. His name was Jephthah. Jephthah. There's one of those unknown people in the Bible. But we are going to see, uh, look at the life of Jephthah. But, uh, you know, there are, if you, if, you, if you go to the Bible and you, Read and study about the covenant men and women of God and how God used them. Just powerful, powerful. And the whole point is that God wants you and me to be covenant men, covenant women who can walk with God and who, who can have that kind of relationship and faith in God that these great heroes of faith had. Hallelujah. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters who have heard uh, your word today, I ask, ask you that you would touch them, bless them. Lord, you said that you bless our food and water and turn every sickness away from us. And Lord, I ask you to turn every sickness away from these homes, from these families. Touch them, bless them, be glorified, meet every need that they have, Father. We ask you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless you. And this was actually lesson number 18 and the subject of the blood covenant so we're going to continue again tomorrow and uh, if god is doing something in your life through these teachings and or you have any comments please do feel free to write to me or write in the comment section of the youtube lesson uh, of uh, of the youtube channel the youtube channel is called dynamis world ministries god bless you in jesus name be blessed